Hey, one more thing before you go. What is interfaith ministry? Can interfaith ministries bring us together in a unique way to allow for us all to connect ourselves through the universe? Is it true that we're all connected to one another? Stay tuned because we're going to talk to an interfaith minister and discuss different world religions and what they each can teach us about living our life to the fullest, the similarities and the differences, as well as to contemplate the key takeaways. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is A Thing About Zen, Spiritualism, and Religion. My guest in this episode is Jerry Zur. He's an ordained minister, and he's been a leader in interfaith ministries for over 35 years. He's helped to create four interfaith organizations, including the Carmel Interfaith Alliance and the Indiana Multifaith Network. Jerry leads workshops, treats, and speaks of events on different aspects of walking the enlightened path, developing inner peace, learning to forgive, and building understanding of different faiths different traditions, and welcome to the show, Jerry. Thank you for having me, and uh, good to be here with your listeners today. Now, I uh, I really appreciate you. We had a little bit of conversation prior to us uh, talking now, and uh, you and I have a lot in common, and I think that uh, this is going to be a very good conversation. We're going to enlighten people. We're going to uh, share with them some various aspects, I think, that are important to uh, leading a very positive life. Yes, I think that's been a part of your journey and my journey is how we can find a way of uh, finding inner peace and and finding a, a sense of purpose in our life that gives us fulfillment. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's kind of unfold your life a little bit. So um, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in northern Indiana, and um, it's in the Midwest, uh, close to Chicago. Uh, my grandparents and parents were Amish, and, and then we were Mennonite when my parents, uh, when they had kids. And in that tradition, um, there are some wonderful things about being pacifist and caring for the earth. But uh, I really had a kind of a bad experience in that uh, the church that I was a part of was very kind of legalistic. You couldn't dance, couldn't drink, couldn't smoke. You're going to go to hell for something. You know, I always felt like um, I was always ready to be judged, and there was a lot of shame and guilt. They meant well. They were trying to keep you in line, if you will, not to fall into temptation, but it was done out of fear. And I had friends who were uh, Baptists, Catholics, even Jewish, and all those people were going to go to hell because they didn't believe like our church did. And I just never bought it. And so um, I had had an experience at church camp as a nine years old where I experienced the sense of love of God a community of different people, and it was powerful. And then I went back to church and I heard all about the sense of judgment and exclusivity. And so, you know, as I grew up, I, I disengaged from the church and actually disengaged from God because I thought at that time all churches were like that church that I grew up with, which later I came to find out, in fact, that's not true at all. But I 
had a degree in Ball, from Ball State University in speech and theater, went out into the entertainment business. And so I was there in my 20s. And, and that's when um, I found, I kind of had my own spiritual awakening and, and began the journey of my own uh, walking the enlightened path. Yeah, it's really interesting that uh, I, I can come from that same perspective, actually. I, when I was a child, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and um, I've said this before in some of my other, my other episodes, but uh, to, to those of you who are just coming into here, you know, I found it very uh, disheartening when my parents got divorced when I was a child, and we had to go into the Catholic Church, and my parents, my mother, who was a devout Catholic, we were excommunicated from the church because of the divorce, and we weren't, you know, supposed to go to church and the communion and all this kind of thing. And I thought, you know, how how bizarre is that? Number one, because life happens, and um, number two, we as children were not part of that. You know, we it was not our fault. We didn't cause the divorce. We did not cause the split up. And you know, I just kind of felt that was just kind of a weird type of a and integration, and we did the same thing. We kind of went to Nazarene and to Baptist and to, you name everything except for Mormon. Because you have uh-huh. to be Mormon to go into a Mormon temple. Right, right, right. right. Even, but, even, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, 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 well, I just think you're right. I mean, and, and, and I have friends who are Catholic, and they find a lot of meaning in being Catholic, and a lot of friends who are Baptist. And so, you know, if, if it offers meaning to you, there's value. I think when religion gets to be um, exclusive or narrow are developing guilt and shame, then I think it's, it's unhealthy. And, and when it's at the best, the core teachings of Jesus, the core teachings of Buddha, of, of the Hindu scriptures, all these are really about love, forgiveness, compassion. And it's been out of our own kind of humanity that we develop these religious doctrines and ritualistic sometimes as a way to say i'm better than you you know and and uh it's part of our human development if you will um that you know if i have my belief and i'm right well then you must be wrong and and so unfortunately that's you know that's been a part of that process of uh exclusiveness uh pushing people away if they didn't believe like us and and I just don't believe that. I believe God is much bigger, much more accepting. And, and that's why I wrote this book, was to help us find the commonality that we have between all of our world religions and a, a sense of broadness of God's love. Yeah, it's really, it's when you look at the um, perspective that in history, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, you know this better than I do, when I went to university to get my degree, I did a little bit of theological research and so forth in regard, just for my own knowledge, and I learned about Buddhism and some Zen, and I've learned different philosophies and religious philosophies. But when you look back on on Christian humanity, you know, they have, thou shalt not kill, but they had wars that killed millions over the over the centuries in the name of religion. You know, which, which kind of defeats the purpose of "Thou shalt not kill." Um, you know, well, from, that, from it, that perspective. Yeah, and un- unfortunately, um, people have used religion to uh, to perpetuate their own power, our own ideology. 
Uh, and I always say to people, don't blame God because of people's sin, you know, because of our own uh, manipulation of that. And, and when religion can be used in some negative ways, and, and that's driven some people away because they'll say, you know, I see all the bad that's been done in the name of God. Well, I want nothing to do with that. And then, you know, I want to suggest, and, and, and I think as people will read my book or they do their own exploration, that the core teachings of Jesus and Buddha and Muhammad are very much about love and forgiveness. It's been our own humanity that's taken those and perverted them. A good example might be with ISIS. When ISIS came out, ISIS was perpetuating to kill all the infidels. And, you know, and we thought that all Muslims were like the ISIS and they're all terrorists. When in reality, ISIS was a small sect of, of 10,000 people within Islam. Now, Islam has 1.2 billion Muslims in the world. And the ISIS killed more Muslims than they did Christians because those Muslims that they killed didn't believe like them. And so, you know, a lot of people just thought because they saw ISIS and they've never met another Muslim, they never read the Quran, they thought all Muslims were terrorists. Well, I've known many deep, wonderful Muslims who have followed the real foundational teachings of the Quran that were about peace and forgiveness. And they would say, you know, those ISIS, um, you know, ha are just are, are terrible. And they spoke out against the against the, the ISIS. Unfortunately, the media never picked that up. The media never showed us hearing the Muslim leaders standing up against ISIS. All they liked were all the negative and, and blood and gut stuff. So you never heard, you know, standing up together. Yeah, I agree with that. It it, it's unfortunate. I think society over the years, um, over centuries actually, has cultivated a, an opportunity for certain religions and religious factions to take power. And those powers in the form of that organized religion, and I'm not bashing you know, them, I'm just talking and stating, you know, from this perspective, it's created an environment that, well, even King James, as you and I both no, King James said, okay, well, here's the Bible, but I don't like this part. It goes out. You know, I like this part. Put it back in. You know, the Pope says, well, this this stuff needs to go in and this stuff needs to go out. Everybody's got their own version, basically. Well, and, and, and the challenge, I think, is because we all have our different points of beliefs. We all can take from each other. And none of us take the whole Bible, literally. I mean, we just don't. If we had took the Bible literally, um, we'd still have slaves. If we took the Bible literally, we'd all have one eye because we were to pluck out the other eye if we were to lust. You know, we, we, we just don't follow. And even though people would say, I take the Bible word for word. Well, they don't really do that. But they do that as a way of saying, if you don't believe like me, then you aren't really a Christian or a believer. And unfortunately, um, that that has done more damage or driven people away from God than it has to build people up. When the real teachings of Jesus were about love and forgiveness and, and helping people come closer to God. I agree with that. I do agree with that. Um, hey, real quick, can we backtrack just for a second? Yeah. You've been married an amazing 37 years. Yes. So congratulations on that. I'm working on my well, third second this September. So, and well, that's a, in this day and age, that's an amazing achievement for, for 
for anybody because of uh, the world we live in, actually. So first of all, congratulations. Where did you meet your Thank wife? You. Well, we met in seminary, actually, uh, in Indianapolis at Christian Theological Seminary. <laughs> and it's interesting that we talk about marriage because, <clears throat> you know, it, it, this book is about being a peacemaker, finding a way of being unity and healing to our world that's so polarized. And I think a lot of the same principles are what I learned in marriage. When we first got married, uh, my wife had two children, and I was came out of authoritarian background, as I talked about. So I was going to shape everybody into the you know the way it was, even though I wanted a wife to be independent and have her own mind. I still wanted everybody to agree with me, fall in line. Well, you know what? You've come after some years of arguing and discussing that you can't really change anybody else. You can only change yourself. And, and also I realized that even though I had my point of view, there was more than one point of view and there was more than one way to resolve an issue. And so, you know, when we, I love to debate. And so when we first were married, we'd argue and I might win the argument, but I lost the, the relationship. I lost, you know, what I was trying to do. And, and that's when I started to realize I needed to learn to have some humility, some respect for the other and to listen, because listening and, and hearing another person's point of view that's different than yours is something that people aren't doing very much these days. There really is a sense where people just want to shout out their own point of view real loud and don't really want to have conversation or dialogue or hear somebody else's point of view that might be totally different than theirs. Now, that I, I, I agree with you in that regard. It's kind of, it, it's a we should call it a working relationship. Because you have to work. I think. Yeah. I think you have to work at relationships, you know, and marriage is, is something about, you know, there's sometimes when it's a bad marriage, there's abuse or there's addiction or there's reasons to be divorced. But at least for us, um, if we always, you know, I was thinking in the first five years, well, I can't do this. I'm just, I'm going to leave and mm -hmm. or she's going to leave. And then we get our senses and the next day we come back. And I didn't even know what I was arguing about because right. there were so many things internally that were going on that I was putting into the argument. And so, you know, there's something about being committed to working through things. And, and that is, is, I think, in our world today, if we are to really want to build peace, we have to learn how to respect um, somebody who has a total different point of view and rather than just calling them stupid or you're idiot or you're this or that, which does no good, but but to see them as a person and, and respect them. Um, and sometimes, unfortunately, there have been those in the Christian tradition who don't want to have dialogue with people of other faiths or people who are agnostic or atheists because if they don't believe like them, they feel like they're going to go to hell. Well, I always say, I'm glad you know the mind of God because I don't know the mind of God. And I also have taught, been taught over and over by Jesus that we're not to judge, but we are to love. Um, and so I come at things in a whole different way with building ways of peace with people of other faith traditions and cultures in our world. That's a positive way to go about things, absolutely, 100%. You mentioned something real quick, if you don't mind helping us to educate other people out there, because I think there's a confusion. What is the difference between a Gnostic and an agnostic? 
Well, I, I said an atheist and agnostic. So an agnostic, you know, is someone who says, I don't know what there is out there. Well, in some ways, I tell my agnostic friends, I'm agnostic. I mean, I have my beliefs. I have my hope. I hope for a heaven or something beyond, but I don't know it for a fact. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying I'm a, an agnostic, that I'm questioning, I'm searching. Now, an atheist is somebody who says, I don't believe in anything but science, you know. There's nothing out there. There's no God. There's no thing. And in some ways, you have to work very hard to be an atheist, and especially in our right. world where, you know, the world is so unknown. And to say I'm an absolute, there's no possibility of religion or of God, to me, is as close-minded as somebody who is a very, uh, you know, somebody who's a Christian or, or, or an evangelical who's very conservative and judges everybody else. I agree with that. I just, I just thought, I know you, you earlier you had said the difference between the agnostic and the, and the atheist, but I've heard the terms both agnostic and gnostic. Okay. So I well, I, I you thought know, we yeah, would give yeah, a... Uh, there is a Gnostic. The, the Gnosticism are the writings. Those were the writings um, that were not included in the Bible. They were a lot of the teachings and understandings of Jesus um, that were not set into, into the theology of the Catholic Church, if you will. And so Gnosticism is, is some of that in that way. Um, so anyhow, sorry. Oh, that's all right. I, I, I just, I, I like to, I like to give people a well-rounded, uh, a well-rounded, informative discussion. Yeah, and that's a whole nother conversation talking about uh, the Gospel of Mary or the Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Peter, some of those things that weren't included in the, um, the Bible uh, as it was finally uh, set forth. But, uh, but that's, you know, for me, asking questions being open to other points of view is, is part of the journey. And it's hard. Not everybody can say, I have these beliefs, but I, I'm open to something else. Because uh, sometimes some of us just want somebody to tell me what to believe. I don't right. want to have to think, you know, and, and then I don't like to change. I don't want to change my, my point of view. Now, my hunch is your listeners, because they have been listening to you, or maybe they're here for the first time, they're people who are listening because they're wanting to have new information. They're wanting to be open to new possibilities. And so they're already kind of in, in this genre of people. Um, you know, a lot of people today will say they're spiritual, but not religious. And I think that's fine. You know, what I understand that means is I, I'm spiritual. I believe in God. I believe in a, in a sense of the divine within me and beyond. I'm not religious in that I don't hold to any certain practice, any certain uh, doctrine or tradition. So in some ways, I'm religious because I'm Christian, but I'm also spiritual because I see God much more than just my tradition. You and I have that in common. We do. We have something else in common as well. You've got over 50 years in the entertainment industry. Well, no, it was 50 musicals in, the, musical. in theater. In, yeah, I was in the entertainment business uh, for really um, for about three or four years as I got out of college. Um, I went to L.A. And, and you know, being in L.A., I was getting accolades. I was performing. Um, and, and 
in one way, it seemed, wow, this is great. This person's getting a lot of accolades, becoming well-known. But inside, I was very empty um, because all of my relationships were transactional. It was all, what can you do for me? How can I move up the ladder for success? I was really searching that to be successful meant I had to make more money. I had to be more well-known. I had to promote myself. Well, you know, inside, I was empty. There was nothing feeding <coughs> my soul because um, this was all, you know, what you could do when the relationships weren't genuine relationships. They were, you know, to help us move up the ladder of success. And so I finally, I mean, I just had to get out because I, my soul was empty and uh, I, I didn't find any really deeper meaning. And that's when I got out of the entertainment business. I went to seminary more to put my faith together, to try to have a credible uh, understanding of God, because I, I found out that, in fact, there were many other religions and many other ideas of God than just what I grew up with. So when I went to seminary, I started studying, and and that's where I came to understand that I used to think God is this being out there somewhere, you know, that was going to judge us, going to strike me down. Maybe I pray to God, and God would answer me or not, kind of like I give my list to Santa Claus. This is what I want, and then I shifted to a new understanding of God as God within me, God within all the world, the essence of everything, God beyond us. And when you have that understanding of God, that God is much broader, um, the sense of God's presence, the power of that, that is within us, and we awaken to that, it, rather than just a being dis disconnected to us. Um, and, and I believe that is the essence of God. In all the teachings, we see this kind of concept of God much more. And we even understand in science. Um, Quantum physics talks about the different dimensions in the universe and that energy cannot be destroyed. It gets manifested. So the very essence of us is energy. And when we die, that energy doesn't just go into nothing. Right. It gets manifested. Some would say it goes into the spirit realm, might come back into reincarnation. It, we, we're not sure what happens, but we know that the very essence of God in us Oh, always be united with the universe, who the God who created the universe. Is that what motivated you to become an interfaith type minister, where you combine a variety of of uh, perspectives into one practice? Well, at first, you know, I just I couldn't buy that Native Americans, who are very rich spiritual people, and that I read, read their readings, would go to hell because they didn't believe like I did or like my teaching of my church. Right. In the same way, I, I just didn't believe three quarters of the world were, were people who were going to go to hell. I, if God is a loving God, God was going to have a way of being connected to all of God's people. Well, and then as I studied, as I said, the different faith traditions, I found that we had so much more in similar. But most of us have never read the Quran or read the Buddhist teachings or the Hindu scriptures. So that's when about two years ago I started writing this book called The Peacemaker's Path, Multi-Faith Reflection to Deepen Your Spirituality. And I found six themes, and there probably are more themes than this, but I just took six themes that are in all of our world religions 
and that I try to uh, explore, do some writing, some reflections, and and then I would have uh, the scriptures from the different faith traditions to enhance my writing, and then we'd have a prayer from a faith leader, and so that people could read this. It wasn't going to be a book of theology. I, that was too deep. Very practical. It's actually a 40-day devotional, if you will, or you could read it each day for one day you know, at a time with its own reflection, its own scriptures, its own prayer to think on. Um, it would take you about 15 minutes a day to do that, or you could read it by chapters or read the whole book through. But the idea was that uh, after you read this, you would you would see these six themes that I've written about and uh, and then to say, wow, in fact, this has enhanced my own faith and, and made my relationship with God much richer by hearing the same teachings in all of these major religions. That's very interesting, actually. So just to kind of, kind of, um, I guess, not really define it, but kind of uh, wrap it up in a little package. It's kind of like taking a little bit of each one of these six different religious factions, basically, and understanding all the similarities between those six and utilizing that philosophy and that perspective from each one of them to help us move forward. So part of uh, one of my themes is prayer, the power of prayer. Prayer is very instrumental in all of these religions. Uh, some people use meditation. Some people have, in the Muslim tradition, they have five prayers that they do a day. Um, how we do prayer or how we understand it is different. As I said, I used to think of prayer like my changing God, but really the prayer that we see at the core of the teachings is really about opening ourselves up and aligning ourselves with the divine within. Power of prayer, another of the themes is loving ourselves. You know, it's amazing how, uh, and this again, Jesus spoke about this in the greatest commandment. He said to love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But a lot of us focus on loving others, but to love ourselves, we always felt like that was being too selfish, or I'm too, too prideful. At least that's how I was taught. So I didn't think a lot about loving myself, but what I've realized is I, if I don't love myself and learn how to care for myself, I have nothing left to give to others. I hard to love others if I don't love myself. But, you know, it's interesting because if, at least for me, I carried a lot of things from my past, a lot of shame and guilt, and, and that was permeating me. And so even though God was wanting me to love myself, I didn't feel very lovable. And in fact, I, I have what I call the critic voice. That's that voice inside of us that even if other people tell us you did a fine job or you're really a good person, that critic voice is that voice that says, oh, you didn't really do it well. You could have done better. You know, you're just really, you know, not as good as what people think you they they telling you. Um, the critic voice is that voice from our past. When somebody, maybe it's a parent or maybe it's society, you know, that, that society says it's not good enough. You need to look better. You need to lose weight. You need to do this and do that. Or maybe it's a something from your past that just said, you know, you just don't measure up. And that critic voice 
we listen to that voice inside of our head more than we do our best friend or a coach or somebody else a lot of times. And, and I talk about how we need to change our thoughts and have we create and find inner peace for ourselves. And some of that is realizing the critic voice is just that. It's, it's one voice that comes from our past. It doesn't have any more value than what we want to shape. And so we can learn to shape our own thoughts so they can manifest goodness and, and beauty and positivity in our life. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, how do you think organized religion plays into that? Well, in its best, uh, you know, religion it can talk about love and forgiveness and grace. Um, when religion is used to put keep people in their place from questioning or making people feel guilty or like they aren't measuring up, then it's it's unhealthy. Or when it makes us divide ourselves as human beings, some of that is our own human nature. We're competitive, you know, and mm-hmm. and we're in our immaturity. As I talked about earlier, um, I want to be right and you wrong. And the idea that we both can be right is hard for some of us to grasp. That somebody who's Hindu or Buddhist can also be a child of God. Now, you know, in reality, I could tell you all the things that I disagree with in the Catholic Church or Mormons or the Jewish or Baha'i. I don't agree with everything that these religions teach. But I believe we have so much more in common than what divide us. And that's what I want to focus on, you know, because we can always find something that we disagree with or we can find things that we find in common and how we can join together to build relationships and to experience a richness of God. Yeah, it's a good approach. Yeah, my um, I've had several different philosophies in regard to organized religion and uh, I know that in my studies, I learned that the uh, Vatican is actually was the richest country in the world. It, from that perspective, um, in my opinion, I think that organized religion in today's society has become a, a I guess, a financial empire. You know, you could, and again, this is not trashing anybody in particular. I'm just using this as an example. Joel Olstein, for example. You know, he's got a private jet, he's got pools, he's got a huge mansion, he's constantly collecting more, 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 more. And his philosophy is, well, God never told me I didn't have to do this. Well, kind that's right. And I think I think there are some of those TV preachers especially, and, and those others that, that I say, don't don't believe all Christians are like that, right? Um, I think there are, you know, like there are wonderful nuns and priests in South America who are working for the poor. I think this Pope is trying to change things, actually. He, yeah. he I love, I love how he's challenging the institution. Now, You're whenever right. you challenge the institution, it gets pushed back. So we understand that, but that's part of our evolution. You know, it wasn't that long ago. Just think about in 1950, Catholics and Protestants couldn't even marry. You couldn't have a black and a white person marry in those days. We've we've evolved. We are moving in a better way. And that's why I say, you know, when I was a minister, my church was nothing like those uh, churches that you talk about. It was a place that LGBTQ people were welcomed. We were a place where everyone was welcomed. Come as you are. I didn't care if you're married or divorced. 
And I found a lot of other ministers within the Christian tradition like that, but they never got the airtime. I mean, we never, Mm -hmm. you know, we, people don't, don't want to hear that. It's always the ones who are outspoken and are very critical or harsh or judgmental. They get the airtime, unfortunately. And, and so what happened is some people have been turned away from God or religion altogether because of that. And that's what my hope is with this book is because it, it gives you a taste of these different faith traditions. And it's very easy, you know, with my reflections to read about, it gives them a way to say, oh, yes. Okay. I, I, this is a new understanding of, of myself about loving others or about uh, forgiveness and forgiving myself that I need to find a way to do if I really want to have a deeper inner peace with myself and with God. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's, it's interesting because when you look back to history, my wife's watching Rain, um, R-E-I-G-N, you spelled that way, and she watched yes, the right. relationship. Now, I know some of it's fabricated because of the historical perspective. They have to uh, take some dramatic licensing because you can't tell that whole story, you know, in a very right. short period of time without taking some dramatic license. But within that, it showed and highlighted the differences where you, you, you're Catholic, you can't marry a Protestant, you're Protestant, you can't marry a Catholic, you can't put those together. And those people have been fighting, the Catholics and the Protestants have been fighting for centuries. Look what they did to Ireland, just because sure. you're a Catholic, you're a Protestant, you know, you don't belong here, you don't belong here. It blows me away. Well, and, and, and let me give you a good example, though, because what, again, we like the kind of the gore. I mean, I love watching Rain. I, I love watching those because the drama and they're, they are fabricated a little bit. But there's probably truth in the Middle Ages. Truth to some of them, I mean, yeah, absolutely. All in the Middle Ages, let me tell you, everybody was using religion to kill everybody. I mean, you know. Knights Templar. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think the Age of Enlightenment is what we're moving into. I mean, we, we are slowly coming in. So an example, there was this uh, 18 and 19-year-old, 19-year-old uh, boy and 18-year-old girl who uh, lived in a small town outside of Carmel. I live in a suburb of Indianapolis, state capital of Indiana. And uh, we have a Jewish tent synagogue in our town, uh, city. And these uh, young two couple, this couple, sprayed swastikas all over the synagogue, trying to put the sense of fear and, and saying, you know, you're not wanted as Jews, and uh, and we're you know just our country should be for the white and and quite Christian and white supremacist. Well, um, that happened on a Thursday evening. By Monday, with a social media on a Monday evening at seven p.m. When most people have gone home, they're at home. They don't want to go out. We gathered at the synagogue for a service of solidarity. The synagogue only held four hundred and fifty people. There was almost a thousand people. There was people in the parking lot with the children, people from all faith traditions, people who weren't even people of any faith who said, we stand together in solidarity to say love wins over hatred. And the ripple effects of that experience has had powerful effect in our community. And when you have those ways of joining together of love between faith traditions, it brings such power of healing and in uh, helping together. You know, all of our faith traditions have joined together to help for to help bring food 
and and to the poor and the homeless have done wonderful things. But again, we don't hear those stories. You know, mm-hmm. we we don't we don't hear those. Um, and and I, it's I must tell you because I've been involved in it. Actually, there's a website called Good News Network, and and I go to that network, go to that website almost every day, and hear these wonderful stories around the world. I, I really watch how much news I watch on TV. I watch a little bit, but you know, if you watch all the talk radio, they all have their own point of view. They they can yep. see the same story from totally different points of view, and and it's very unhealthy. And we have to watch how much of that we put, we let come into our brain and into our spirit. I, I agree with that. I mean, it's the same situation realized even in my old profession as a law enforcement officer. Yeah. I can tell you that they don't tell you all of the good things that happen constantly, the lives that are saved, the, the people that are helped in a very positive way, the people that are taken out of bad situations, the kids that are taken out of bad situations, the traffic accident victims, the cops that are holding hands of people that are dying, and that's the last person that they see, but they're there holding their hand. I, I've been right. there, so so I, I'm right. saying that because I've been those, that individual. And you they know, and that's that. true. I mean, they, no, you know, and, and most of our police officers, 80% of the police officers, 90% are, you know, just great people who are doing a great job. And yes, you know, we need police reform. Yes, I'm not saying that the ones who've done bad should be prosecuted, but but let's lift up. You know, I mean, let's lift up what the police officer, what firemen have done. You know, I mean, those are the wonderful stories. And the and 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 I must say, during the pandemic, there was some good news about people helping others out, and and that was so encouraging. It was, uh, I think, to see. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And, and the statement that you just said, made a second ago, in, in in any profession, in any society, you're going to have bad apples. In any society. They shouldn't be showcased. They should be t- taken care of. It should be dealt with. It should be managed. But they shouldn't be showcased, in, in my opinion. It should be. It should be just managed so we can move and, forward. And I think that's. And, and religion's the same way. You know, I mean, uh, out of all the religion of all of the Christians of the world, we're the largest religion in the world. Right. But we only see about Joel Olstein or Jerry Falwell or. You know some of these those type of people because they're in the Baker, media, right? Jim and Tammy, yeah, and, and, and it's unfortunate because, yep. uh, but that's what I mean. When religion's done, and 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 we all need community. So so people, you know, I think there's value to being in a church, uh, or being in a mosque, or in a or in a synagogue. You know, there's value mm-hmm. to being in a community for that, and I think it's it's. And and we're growing, I think, to understand that, okay, I have my faith, but I also realize that maybe that person down the street who's Muslim or somebody who's Sikh aren't terrible people. But in fact, if I can learn more about them, I find out they're wonderful people. And they're, you know, when I traveled to India, um, the people in India, in the Hindu, majority is Hindu. Those people are so wonderful and gracious, and and I've come to love uh, a lot of the teachings in the Hindu tradition that were some uh, just like Jesus's teachings. Oh, absolutely! But, I mean, you just answered a question I was going to ask you about. Okay. Do you feel that we? Um, how important is it for us to really understand 
that there are different perspectives and we should try to embrace those 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 perspectives basically yeah and and i think that's the key for for reconciliation for listening it it is a sense of respect um of valuing the other as a human being um and and so you know one of the things i had friends who were supported trump and some friends who were on the other side and what i and you know they they would all try to say these negative things about the other side like Oh, all people are Trump or this, or all people are liberal or that. And I'd say, you know, you're just not doing any good with that. When you make a canvas group of people, rather than relating to one person as an individual. And so I, I want to encourage people um, that if they can find ways of building bridges where there were walls, taking those walls and making bridges, finding ways of, of understanding and, and listening so that maybe your coworker is somebody who, you know, rubs you the wrong way or, or, mm-hmm. or maybe, you know, you really have a hard time with their point of view. If, if you can listen and try to understand from their position, having some empathy or being open to at least to, to making, to hearing them, that sometimes is the best gift you can give another person. I agree with that. Is that part of your motivation for writing your book? I think so. I, I, you know, my whole life has been committed, I think, to wanting to bring healing, uh, to helping people feel valued. Because I think I, as a young person, I didn't feel valued. I felt uh, inadequate. And, and it wasn't really till I started to realize that love of God for my own life. I realized I had, you know, just because I had all those thoughts in my own mind saying you were inadequate, you're no good, you're lazy. That was just that critic voice of somebody else. And as I learned to retrain that, to find ways of taking in the affirmation that God was giving me, you know, when somebody would give me a compliment before, I'd say, oh, thank you. But, you know, I didn't really do a good job or, oh, I find something that I didn't like. Or if I had 10 people, if I gave a message on Sunday (laughs) and I had 100 people and 99 other people said something was good, but one person didn't like something, I'd focus the next two days on what that person said that made me feel bad. And I'd focus on that all the time rather than letting in the affirmation that people gave me and affirming myself. Well, when you can start to affirm yourself and and start to believe and trust yourself and, and listen to that within yourself, that conscious, that voice within you that is of God, then you start to blossom. And that's part of what I write about in the book, um, helping us to find that sense of inner peace and being a peacemaker. Is that also your um, ultimate purpose for creating like an interfaith type organization so that we can embrace all of that? Yeah. And I, and again, as I say, I don't think it means that we have to agree with everything each other does, or we don't even agree with our points of view. Um, But if we are to live in a world where we can have peace, we must have find some ways of of coming to respect one another and valuing each other and and not being so hard line against one another. And I think a lot of that hard line comes out of fear, comes out of change. I mean, our, our society is changing so quickly. There's so much going on that makes people want to withdraw. And, and be fearful. And I, I realize change is hard, but if you can be open 
and and not not give in to fear, but trust that something good comes out of chaos. I mean, the world was created out of chaos. And in this time that we're feeling everything is up in the air, um, nobody knows what to believe, who to believe, who to listen to. Um, somehow out of this chaos, there's going to be a new defining, a new understanding. As I say, we're in the beginning stage of an enlightenment that I think is going to bring more power to the individual and to our community. It's a good thing. Tell me a little bit about your book. Well, the book is uh, designed with, uh, it's a 40-day, um, it has six themes, um, and so you can read one, uh, one day, each day, kind of one reflection, or you can read it on a weekly basis. The six themes are walking the enlightened path, the power of prayer, loving yourself, loving others, the cause and effect, or karma, and then the final one is the quest for peace. And so those are the six themes um, that the book has. Uh, each day has some questions for you to reflect on. Um, and then I hope that it will give you a sense of um, a peace, an inner peace, and a greater sense of peace for our world. And where can they find that book? Um, it's on my website, jerryzare.com, or you can go on to Amazon or anywhere that books are sold. And it actually, an Amazon has a little inside sample that you can see that. Um, and also, it's on Kindle. So if you like to have a little larger font, you can get it on Kindle as well. Oh, and I'll obviously have some of those, things, all of those things, actually, in the um, show notes. So we'll make sure that we can uh, get everybody connected with how to get your book and some of the other services about your uh, church and how to get more involved in that and so forth as well, because it's important, I think, for people to get uh, involved. I think finally, you know, for those listeners, maybe there's some who are listening who are feeling um, detached or out, uh, detached from God or maybe from themselves. Life is, is feeling very fearful right now or you're anxious. And I, I want to invite you just to, to breathe, to take some time uh, to let go of things and do some meditation kind of be open to that, that God is present with you right now. And, and God will bring people into your life to help you if you open yourself to that. And as we are open to that, that, I, that you can know, and I want you to know that you are loved. God loves you. You are a person of God. And that we are all together joining. And the more we join in that love, the greater peace we can bring. I was going to ask you, and this is one more thing before you go, do you have any words of wisdom? But I think you just said them. I think that's that's the best I could give. You know, it's if if the thing that I've learned for myself, because I was very driven, I was very anxious, I was very perfectionist in my 20s. And as I've come to learn this part about loving myself that I was not good at doing, and I've learned how to give myself a cut a little slack, give myself some grace, some forgiveness. You know, we do the best we can, okay? Maybe we go through a divorce. We don't intentionally get married thinking I'm going to get divorced. We, we try to do the best or we, we, we get fired from a job. We don't intentionally mess up. We do the best. But if we can just realize that it's not failure, it's about our own growing, we're on a spiritual journey, a spiritual journey of enlightenment. And the more we can come to that awareness and higher consciousness, 
we'll come to a greater sense of peace with ourselves and the world. Absolutely profound words of wisdom. Jerry, I really appreciate you spending the time with me today and sharing your journey and uh, everything that you've been able to create to help people move forward in a very positive way. Thank you for coming on one more thing before you go. Yeah. Thank you so much. And for all your work uh, that you've been doing with your listeners, as I've listened to other of your podcasts, uh, I appreciate so much your uh, being in the same work, kindred spirits, and uh, about helping each other just live into the fullness of who we are as God given us this life. Thank you, sir. I want to thank you for enjoying or coming on board with us with this show today and for Jerry being here and sharing his journey with us. Please stay with us. Subscribe, follow, share. Uh, We're found on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and everywhere else that uh, you can listen to podcasts or view them. So again, thank you very much. I really appreciate you. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. That's BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.